Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to COVID, pandemics, crisis management, emergency management, business continuity, resilience, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Alternatively, you can find me at alexfullick.com. As you can tell by the screen, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's that time again for our regular chat with Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, what a surprise. It's so much fun. It's so great to see you. A whole month has gone by. We have so much to talk about, and it's different. I know. Usually for two years, we've been talking about pandemics and, and COVID, and now that's uh, actually, I don't want to say footnote, but it'll be the end of our, our, our show this time. We're going to jump into some different topics. Yes, indeed we are. And I know we've got a big list here, so let's, let's get started right away. Great. The first one, war in Ukraine. Yeah, and there's several things I'd like to talk about our listeners about the war in Ukraine. And what I want to start, first of all, talking about is actually the crisis management lessons we're getting on a daily basis from President Vladimir Zelensky. And I think it's important just to stop and reflect because what he is doing is actually quite remarkable. And I want to talk just a minute about him and some of the things he's doing so well. So first of all, when everybody hears about President Zelensky, what they think about is, oh, yeah, the guy that was the comedian. But there's a lot more to his background than that. He's in his early 40s. He actually grew up in a town in Ukraine and his first language was Russian. So he's a native Russian speaker. He actually is a very smart guy. He went to law school, graduated, but never practiced because his real interest and love was actually comedy. So he actually graduated from law school, and then he actually started his career as a comic and an actor. He actually was very successful in Ukraine, moved to Russia, Moscow. And there, he actually started a media company. And there in that media company, he produced a wide variety of shows. And one of them happened to be, and I have to look it up because I always forget it, Speak, uh, um, hang on a second, what's the title of his group? It is, uh, 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 oh my gosh, I forgot, I didn't write it in. Oh, no, I didn't. His political party, oh my gosh, what is it? Uh, something like uh, uh, something to the people. Speak for anyway, the people or speaking for the people, something speaking, like that. Speak to the people. I think it was something yeah. like that. And that was his, the name of his famous show. And in that particular show, which ran for about five years, he actually played a um, teacher who did some riff that got uh, picked up by social media. And it then um, several months or several months later in his story of his show, he became the president of Ukraine. Uh, because he was so popular. 
So anyway, in 2004, so this is, you know, fast forward about five, six, seven years. Uh, in 2014, after Russia invaded Ukraine and he, they invaded Crimea, at that point, Zelensky actually sent quite a large donation to the Ukraine military for them to actually fight off the Russians. Well, remember, he was living in Russia. He had a big media company. At that point, he was not very popular <laughs> with Putin. And mm. so he left and he took his media company with him and he went back to Ukraine. So when he got there, he again started his production company all over again, started doing his normal shtick. And at some point, about 2018, his staff actually started a political party in the same name as his show. And that was the name of the party he ran under in 2019. So he's got a really interesting, he's a very smart guy and a communication specialist. He's a business person. And he became famous initially to Americans during a very now infamous phone call with President Trump when Trump was trying to essentially shake him down to find dirt on Biden. And that resulted in, of course, Trump's first impeachment. So he has a rich background and he's a lot more than simply a comedian. But one of the things I would say to all of our listeners is this, is that every single day, if you've watched him give any speeches, any on the street selfies in the middle of the night with bombs blasting around him, He's giving us every day what I call a master class in crisis management and crisis leadership. And there's really five things that he is actually really doing in an amazing way. And this is beyond his obvious skills as a communicator. The first thing he does is he speaks to people in the language that they understand. And what do I mean by that? Not only in all of his conversations that he's had with foreign leaders and, and, and uh, speeches across the globe, he also, because he's a native speaker in Russian, almost every day, he's sending out a message on Telegram, which is still a channel that's available in Russia. And he's speaking mm. in Russian in short two-minute segments about exactly what's going on in the country and reaching people speaking their language. But also, if you've seen any of his presentations he has done a brilliant job of every country he speaks to talking about them in relationship to Ukraine. So in the United States, mm -hmm. when he talked to Congress, he spoke about 9-11. He spoke about Pearl Harbor. And he talked about our responses to that and then laying that in, 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 uh, in obvious um, alignment with what's happening in Ukraine. I believe he did something very similar when he spoke to Canada when he did the EU, when he did Germany. So he has this ability to just connect with people in a way that they get right away. And I would say to our listeners, think about what your business is and business continuity and crisis management. And what does that tell you is that when we're speaking to anybody and what we do for a living, we have to speak in a language that's meaningful to them, not what's meaningful to us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is he is a empathetic leader. You know, you see him and you know he is feeling every bit of what's going on. He's not acting cold or removed. He is right there. And just like in the pandemic, I've done a, um, quite a few speeches on crisis leadership in the pandemic. And one of the most important skills in the pandemic has been empathy, where you need a leader to just be there with you 
And Zelensky does that in an amazing job. Um, the next thing is that he really fights for what he believes in. I mean, just think about what he's doing. Uh, and he says he's fighting for his land and for his freedom. And it is so obvious. But then also parlay that to anything in crisis management. When we have some sort of crisis, some sort of activation, whether it's the pandemic or some other event, we are fighting for our organization, for our employees, for our communities. And so we have to have that kind of fire in the belly that you see and he demonstrates so well. Um, his fourth uh, real skill, I think, is he doesn't abandon his people. He never abandoned his people. You know, and just like in, I mean, just look at what, what was his favorite uh, or now very famous line that he delivered when Biden offered at the beginning of the war to take he and his family out. He said, I need ammunition. I don't need a ride. You know, that was just like, if you were to have one sentence explain the war, my God, that is just yeah. an amazing, amazing. And that's really what we have to be thinking about is that we, we can't abandon our people. We can't abandon the work that we do. Uh, and the work that we do is so important. And his last thing is that he is so positive. He is so optimistic, even in just brutal situations that have been happening in the war. And when you stop and think about that, that optimism and, and being positive is so important. And we've certainly have seen that in the pandemic, how the longer and longer and longer something goes on, the harder it is to be upbeat when you're just beat down. And yet every day he is showing up in a way that's really quite remarkable. So I think when you look at what he's showing us every single day, it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So does that resonate for you when I talk about those five things in a relationship to us? Yeah, it does. You know, I, I've, I've watched him, obviously, like, tens of millions, if not billions of people have watched him uh, over the last month. And he, he kind of astounds me. Yes, you know, you I totally are, agree. You're being bombed <clears throat> on. <laughs> you're coming out and, and saying, you know, you even you gave the quote about, you know, I don't need a ride. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he's filming himself in a city that is being bombed. He's wearing army fatigues. You can see that, you know, he looks tired, mm -hmm. you know, and let's face it, in that position, anybody would. Mm -hmm. uh, he looks tired, but yet, nope, he keeps going. Mm -hmm. And I watched his speech here when he spoke to the Canadian Parliament. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it felt like he was talking right to me. Right, right. Rather he, than that connection, right? Yeah, rather than, uh, you know, hey, Mr. Miss Government, I, I want this, I want that, and this is why. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it was, you went through this. How did you feel when, and he always pulls something from that country's history. Right. When this happened to you, how did you feel? Mm -hmm. You know, that's where we are type mm -hmm. thing. So mm -hmm. you could connect, mm -hmm. you know, uh, with everybody. And he didn't, I find that he's also... Uh, even like he doesn't sound panicked. He right. doesn't sound um, uh, as though, 
Yeah, you know, yeah, I'll say it. He doesn't. As if bombs are as yeah. if bombs are dropping, right? Yeah, it's he stays even even keel. You know, no, I'm not worried because we are going to prevail. You know, and he just keeps an even keel, and I think that's what a lot of other people see in him as well. Is that's a leader that I would follow, right? Because he's not right. panicking, he's not right. freaking out, he's staying calm, he's not, uh, you know, just like some leaders do, they'll just throw out instructions all over the place and it just right. creates chaos. He's right. not doing that. In the middle of chaos, he's keeping calm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when I, I would encourage all of us in our profession in particular, which deals with a lot of crises, to really study him. Because just in the five points that I mentioned, um, those things are all things that we as crisis leaders and as business continuity professionals should be bringing to our events as well. And we should be coaching those executives and others to really be displaying that same type of behavior. Mm -hmm. And he is really a great example. So I think one of the things that all of our listeners can do is literally think about some of his speeches. Think about if they, they have spo- he has spoken to your uh, legislative bodies in your country uh, if so, look at those speeches, think about what he did, because that's the same kind of thing that you want from a crisis leader. And it's the same kind of thing, frankly, that you want to be coaching uh, your executives to be able to perform to, because it is a piece of brilliance, really. Yeah. I think the other thing I would say about him that's even more, I guess, is the cherry on the Sunday or the thing that really is so profound is he's also willing to die for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, I'd die for that. Well, you know, I don't think that's really true. Yeah. But well, he's, he's on record for uh, saying that. Right. Uh, you may not my, see me again. You may, yeah. Not, right. yeah, you may not see me again. I am target number one. My family is target number two. And right. we're still here. We're not going right. anywhere. Right. So it's, it's extremely powerful. So I would encourage us as we're watching this whole event to think about our own practice, think about what we're doing, and think about some of the things that I mentioned, because when you're trying to bring people in to your program, you need to be having some of those clarity issues related to making sure that, again, you're speaking in the language that the people understand. You're not using all the terms that we use in our practice, because maybe they don't understand them, that you want to align your glossaries so that we're all speaking the same language. And that we are demonstrating leadership in these areas. So I think that's a really important takeaway regarding the uh, war in Ukraine. Yeah. And what, one other thing I just want to add to what you said is, yeah. um, I'm not, if I'm the crisis manager, I'm speaking with people. Don't speak at them. Correct. Absolutely. You know, and that has to do with all, <clears throat> what you just said about terminology, speaking you know, a common language. Mm-hmm. You know, not me up here. So I'm speaking mm-hmm. with all these fancy words and it's like, what? What's he saying? Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You lose people right away, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, as I mentioned what before we even started recording, one of the things that I always do just to make sure that I am in alignment with whoever I'm speaking to is I always have a very simple diagram that I show that talks about just the basic terms that we use every single day. And I have them say, I say, I want you to get a piece of paper, put it in front of you, and I want you to draw four boxes. 
Okay, the first box is emergency response. You know, that's about life safety and what you do in the first few hours. Then the next box is technology or disaster recovery. That's how you recover your technology and your information security. The third box is the issue related to business continuity. How do you recover time-sensitive, mission-critical business processes? Number four box is crisis communications. What do you say to your identified key stakeholders? And then the big umbrella that about, above all of those things and it is a big umbrella, so draw that, is crisis management. And that's the coordinating body for everything. And then they go like, oh, now I get it. It's like, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, now we're all on the same page. We're on all the, same the same page. View. Yeah. So that's my, that's my thought about Zelensky, which I think is brilliant. And I wish him all the best, as I do the people of Ukraine. Me too. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Defeat the Chaos with Corey Harris and Julie Traxler hits on topics every week that affect small business owners across this country. They provide insights that show entrepreneurs how to reduce stress, wear fewer hats, and work shorter hours. Take your business from being owner-dependent and stagnant to growth-ready and process-driven every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We're talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, there's more to talk about with Ukraine. All the collateral damage that's happening, supply yes. chains, etc. Yeah, you know, it's quite amazing when you stop and think about it, is that there is so much to consider and the impacts that it's actually having globally is really stunning. And of course, some of those things are building on the already problematic problems we've or issues we've had with supply chain issues already with the pandemic. But mm -hmm. one of them is the supply chain. So this continued problem of chips, 
which go in everything pretty much, right? Um, there's now uh, many car plants around the world that have been at least stopped for a week or two because they can't get chips. That's also in washing machines and other appliances are having the same kind of problem. And again, just to remind our listeners that there's a variety of uh, hard, uh, uh, rare metals that come out of Ukraine and Russia, neon in, in particular, palladium is another. They're all in chip manufacturing that are now not available. So those sources have dried up. There's also a really, I guess, really concerning supply chain issue that's going to affect not just uh, the world, but in particular, developing nations. And that is the issue of the severe shortage of both wheat and fertilizer. So wheat, uh, Ukraine, I think, is the third largest producer of wheat in the world. Uh, yeah. Russia, Russia is right up there, either like two or four. I don't remember which. Uh, but also fertilizer. And so there's been quite a few articles recently in The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, talking about this acute shortage of fertilizer and the fertilizer that's available is very expensive. And that's already begun to impact farmers in India, Southeast Asia, um, and many other more developing countries of the world, Africa, and so there's already a concern that they're not going to get their usual yields because they don't have fertilizer and they're not able to get it. So, yes, they can you know, do what they've always done, which are use cows and chickens manure and all of that. But they have been augmenting or adding to with a commercially made fertilizer, which uses a component, natural gas, in its production. So you combine that and that's going to be a significant issue. There is already the guy that runs the UN food program has already talked about the possibility of famine, famine in many different low income countries in the next 12 months based on these outages. I mean, that's just stunning, right? That you yeah. could have this event happening in one part of the world and yet the impact will be catastrophic. Um, but also, too, the issue of energy in general. So I don't know what's gas costing up in Canada these days. Well, we charge by the liter, not, not the gallon. I know. what. Okay, so, so do the math for me. <laughs> I, I can't even remember what, how many liters are in a gallon. I think so, it's like close to three. But, it's a, but we're paying a dollar seventy on average now. Yeah, yeah so I, think it's, I think it's close to three liters in a gallon, but I'm sure our listeners are going to correct us and send you some mail about that. But. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so here in San Francisco, we just approached, approached $6 a gallon. Oof. So, yeah, yeah. So it, that, of course, is impacting everyone, anybody who drives. And of course, there's so many things that oil goes into, it's also impacting that and fertilizer and all the other things. So housing, not housing costs, but food costs, etc. So I think that's also contributing to a lot of instability and a lot of inflation, not just here in the United States, but also around the world. So that's another impact that is, again, connected to the pandemic, being amplified by the war in Ukraine, and um, really uh, being a big issue for all of us all over the world. It's even impacting uh, organizations going back to the office uh, um, schedules or whatever, because a lot of people, they don't want to be driving back and forth because it's too expensive now. Right. But organizations are still saying, well, we want you to come back to the office. And people are saying no. In right. fact, there was a survey here. Uh, I think it was done by the CBC in Canada, Canadian Broadcasting Company Corporation. And uh, it said 53% now 
of Canadians will say no if they're told to go back to the office. Wow. You go, Canadians. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> well, I know you and I, we could talk a whole not, another session on, on uh, the whole issue of going back to work. But to that end, there's a, there's a lot of people here in the United States who are having the same attitude, not just the issue related to the expense of going back to work, but all the mm-hmm. other issues we've talked about before. And we could do an entire segment on that, but we won't today. Yeah. I just have to add that because it's all related to the gas. Of course. Of course. Uh, And I think the last really big issue, and I don't know what's happening in the stock market or the economy up in in Canada. So we've got this huge inflationary pressure uh, driven by many things, but also the stock market here in the United States. I mean, literally every single day, it goes up 500, goes down 700, goes up 800, goes down 900. It has been like a, a seesaw every single day. Uh, really for the last few weeks. And I, uh, a lot of that's, again, because of all the issues that were spoken about today. What Do you see that in the, in the stock market in Canada as well? Yeah, I, I don't follow the stock market that much, you mm-hmm. know, but it has been the same, up and down, up and down, up and down, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to get any handle on it. If you're someone who can't tolerate risk, don't look at anything to do with the stock market. Because <laughs> right. you know, you'll give yourself a coronary. It's just... Right. 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 Because, and it was up today, but it's going to go down tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, it's really I think that's difficult. So I think what this means for all of us in our profession is a, a variety of things. We are I mean, we've talked about the supply chain a lot with the pandemic, but this is just another indicator that supply chain analysis, understanding, tying that to your business continuity plans is so important and really making sure that uh, if a supply chain issues are part of your story in your organization, that you have really clear information being brought in to your uh, business continuity and crisis management processes so you can really see where things are and not to be flat-footed. And so how you get that information, how do you know uh, what might be at risk, and then how you can get that information in and then project that out to your executives and your leadership so decisions can be made in a timely manner and really working with the business so that you can actually be a real partner in that instead of just waiting for the business to sort of do all of that and then talk to you about it. I think it's a great opportunity for, again, showing value in what business continuity does to be able to say, let us partner so that we can work together to really understand these supply chain issues, because that's really important for the business continuity plan. It's critically important, obviously, for the business. So I really encourage our listeners to really do some partnering uh, and really determine how what those, what those um, vehicles are to bring in information and then what to do with that now newly found situational awareness. Yes. And it's only going to increase, especially the supply chain stuff. Right. The longer, well, it, it, everything in Ukraine could end today. It is the impacts are going to be felt for a long time. Right. Right. And that's really true. And I think that I think even if the war did end today, just like if the pandemic ended today, it takes a very long time to unravel that. And I think we've certainly seen that time and time again with the pandemic. And, you know, I think all, all of us kind of have short attention spans. We hear about something and go, oh, OK. And then and then we, but we think it's going to go away right away. And then when it does and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's still here. And then, you know, months later, it's still here. And certainly the supply chain issues that we're seeing are going to go on for a lot longer. And I think that's something that's really critical. Um, so I think those are the big issues that I have about when I think about what's, what the direct impact of the war is. But there's also another impact, and we've talked about this a lot as well in the past, 
And that's the threat of cyber attacks. And here in the United States last week in particular, it was very funny. I was at DRJ, did a couple of speeches in a workshop. And uh, on the day that I was doing my ransomware workshop, how to design a ransomware exercise, that day, President Biden had uh, made a huge declaration that the threat of significant cyber attacks in the United States was at an all-time high, with ransomware, of course, being the number one, the number one issue mm-hmm. that people should be concerned about. And so what I would say to all of our listeners is I know that this is something that everybody thinks about with some regularity, at least if you don't, you should. But the issue is, is that what can you do to really help be more hardened about the issue related to ransomware or any other cyber attack. And so I think it's important to stop and think about that for a moment. So doing some widespread education uh, about the threat, the risk, and what are the most common ways that people actually can bring ransomware into the office? So what do you think one of some of the common ways are, um, Alex, that people can actually, next thing you know, that they've got some ransomware on their machine? Well, one of the the oldest, the very first thing I ever heard was getting a link in an email. Yes. Phishing. Absolutely. That's one of the oldest and probably still one of the most effective ways. Absolutely. Because humans are curious, right? (laughs) (laughs) They go like, oh, what's on that link? Maybe I should go or I'm going to get a $20 gift certificate if I click on that or whatever, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think phishing is really an important uh, tool still and very effective. There's also very much more sophisticated um, uh, uh, links as well or or processes called social engineering. And uh, let me just sort of talk about this for a minute because I think it's actually interesting. If you happen to work at, I'm looking at the time, if you happen to work at a place where a hacker would love to get in, and either because of the type of industry that you're in, the kind of financial rewards they might expect, Social engineering is a really common way that people might want to actually get in. And let me explain how that works. So with social engineering, the hacker actually takes a little bit of time figuring out how to get this. So let's say the hacker, let's say that you're the target, Alex. And what happens is the hacker, first of all, does a lot of research about you. They find out, oh, you got a LinkedIn page. Oh, you've got a website. Oh, you've got this in your background. And they do lots and lots and lots of digging about that. So they know everything about you that you can find out online. So then what they do is they make contact with you. And based on what your story is, and I'll just go, I'll make up something. Let's say that they think you're looking for a job and or that you might be looking for a job. And so next thing you know, they could act as a recruiter. Hey, Alex, you know, Mm. blah, blah, blah. You've got this great, you know, this great background. I have somebody that might really be interested in you, you know, and you, they start a dialogue with you, blah, 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 blah. So you start talking to them. They start talking to you, vice versa, vice versa, vice versa. And at some point they have you click on something so you can fill it some data about yourself. What that does is then Mm. that then downloads to your machine, some sort of malware which then actually can uh, be loaded into your machine and could do a variety of different things. Let's say that you're an administrative a person at a technology company and you have a administrative password, which means you can get around everything. Wow, wouldn't you be a great target? So next thing you know, you've bef- they've befriended you. This has gone on for several weeks. Next thing you know, you click on something, it downloads some malware. Then, of course, it's a... 
key tracking piece of malware, then they actually are just looking at all your keystrokes until you pack, pack, type in your administrative password, and then they're in. And next thing you know, then they get into your uh, business of your organization and they wander around and, you know, they find out all kinds of interesting things and they can start to exfiltrate data. And then maybe like four weeks later, they send off a ransomware notice, but they've been there for weeks and you invited them in because you thought that was somebody different. And a lot of times they wait <clears throat> they'll find yes. out how long your backups are. Yes. Oh, they recycle their backups every 30 days. Right. So you kill their data 31 30 days. Email right. Comes right. Yeah. right. So, so I think that's what people need to be thinking about is really educating people about this kind of mm-hmm. really creative phishing, really creative social engineering. Uh, so employee training is really important. Continuing to harden your security is really important. And doing a cyber exercise. We should talk about that maybe next time. Really designing yeah. a well-crafted cyber exercise. And I'll just tell all of your listeners, the most important thing, if you're doing a cyber exercise before Alex and I talk about this maybe next month, the most important thing you can do after when you've done this exercise is at the end of the exercise, you leave everybody miserable and crying. <laughs> do not fix it. You need to, because, you know, many of my clients have had been down for weeks. It's not like, you know, a four-hour exercise and all of a sudden it's got a bow on it and things are great. If you do that, they'll walk out of the room going, wow, that was bad, but it wasn't that bad. I want them to leave an exercise I've designed with the worst exercise hangover that they've ever had. And that's what we have done in every single cyber exercise we've done in I bet we've done to close, maybe close to 1,500. Wow. And I will tell you, it delivers a tremendous payload when you actually make people want to cry. So that's my other suggestion for cyber-related issues. But I think this is really an important time to educate people about how sophisticated, especially if you're in an organization that has the potential for a big ransom, and also that has a lot of reputation and brand concerns that you do not want to have this happen to you. And social engineering is a really popular way to suck you in. I wanted to add this morning, today, I received an email from a, a company saying, you've earned this badge from an organization I'm a part of, and mm-hmm. I can use it in my signature. And I, I looked at it and went, that doesn't look familiar to me. Yep. But some of the other information looked familiar to me. Ah, mm-hmm. So I, I still didn't click anything, but I got in touch with the organization that they were mentioning and said, hey, is this real? Don't click on any single thing in this email. But did this really come from you guys mm-hmm. via this you know, organization? They got back to me and said, yes, it's actually credible. I said, okay, you might want to remind people then, because if, uh, if I'm questioning it, Right. Um, probably a lot of other members who are probably just going to delete your this email and it's real. But Absolutely. they got but if it was phishing, boy, did it look good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, well, it, to your point, to your point, Alex, as you know, phishing emails are, are become incredibly sophisticated. Yes. And I I look mm-hmm. at I look at email. I mean, I won't click on anything. If people send me a link, it's like, I'm sorry, just you know. Tell me what the website is and I'll go find it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But I I think that that's a really important issue. And especially now, 
Uh, and as Russia has done so poorly in the war, uh, the chances of them really pushing these cyber attacks out even more are even greater. So I want our listeners to really think about that. Yeah. And one thing I do want to add to, you don't have to be a huge multi-conglomerate to be attacked. Oh my God. You can be a small organization, medium or global. It doesn't matter. Everybody's vulnerable. Right. And to your point about that, Alex, the smaller companies in particular don't have the assets, probably don't have as good of a DR plan, don't have as good of a backup plan, probably don't have as good of a business continuity plan. And they are incredibly vulnerable. And many times they will actually go out of business. You've heard of doctor's offices, dental offices, people that could not afford the ransom and lost everything. Yes. And that's happened. It it has hit the headlines. If anybody thinks that it, it only happens to the big guys, no. It happens to everybody. That's right. So on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we're talking with Regina Phelps, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in for And Security for All, hosted by Kim Hakem. Each week, we look into a different aspect of cybersecurity, which is important to know for anyone who is involved with the Internet daily, which is probably all of us. We take the technical jargon and make it easier to understand while helping you to identify weaknesses and issues in your own cybersecurity and fix them now. And Security for All is broadcast live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Regina Phelps today. So, Regina, our last topic is COVID. Boy, that's the topic that we've spent how many years? Two years? Two years? Two years. Over two years. Yeah. Yeah, you know, boy, things have changed, huh? So I want to just talk a little bit about this uh, because after all, we've been talking about it for so darn long, we have to just continue for a little bit longer. 
So really where we are and, and where we're going, I suppose, would be the way to really approach this. So first of all, uh, what's going on around the world? So you and I in North America here are like thinking like, woohoo, life is good, but it's not so good in a lot of places. So that's an important thing to keep in mind as the pandemic, as we know, uh, some places are on fire, other places are kind of, um, you know, mundane. Uh, China in particular, but looking really focusing on Hong Kong to start with, their case counts have been astronomical. Um, and I think the thing to really reflect on for a moment is that in Hong Kong, which had a zero COVID strategy as the mainland of China has had, is that interestingly enough, they've had a pretty poor uptick, uh, uptake, if you will, in vaccines, for, especially for those over 80. Uh, at one point early um, when the um, uh, Omicron variant started to rip through Hong Kong, the statistics were, and I think it's only a little bit better now, 30% of the population of over the age of 80 had actually only gotten one dose of vaccine. Uh, and in particular, the two vaccines that have been produced and manufactured in China, Sinovac and Sinopharm, had initially a pretty low um, uh, efficacy rating for the original Wuhan strain, about 54%. So now that we've gone through multiple iterations and we're at Omicron and BA2, you know, the effectiveness of that vaccine is pretty limited. So that's a big place where they've had so many deaths. Uh, I mean, literally, I've seen uh, images of hospitals with body bags literally lining the hallways stacked on top of each other, kind of horrifying uh, to imagine. So they've, they've really struggled in Hong Kong. And I understand also in parts of mainland China to try and continue a COVID zero strategy, because you might have recalled that if you were tested positive, not only were you uh, quarantined, but you were also quarantined at a health facility. Uh, I'm assuming that they're going to have to change that because if they have a lot of people that are sick from Omicron that need to be hospitalized, you just can't have people hanging out who are just there on quarantine. So uh, I think China is going to be important to watch. There, I, I already sense that they're moving away from a zero COVID strategy because there are outbreaks that are occurring in different parts of the country and they are not doing the massive lockdowns they have been historically known for although they are still trying in places like Shanghai. That's another thing that will impact going back to our supply chain discussion just a minute ago. If China starts to really shut down for any length of time, some of the big port cities or some of the cities with lots of manufacturing, that will also impact um, the supply chain. So China is in particular a significant issue, Hong Kong, but also Vietnam, other parts of Southeast Asia, South Korea. Oh, my gosh. They also have a huge number of cases and lots of deaths. And so, again, as we historically have done in the pandemic, one place is on fire. The rest of the part of the world is recovering. However, we're in a little bit different place than we are now after surviving the Omicron surge here in the United States. Uh, at some point, I've seen studies uh, as much as 40% of Americans were sickened during the Omicron rave. 40%. Wow. That's including people that were vaccinated. So if indeed those are statistics are even remotely true, we have a pretty significant wall of immunity. And then you lay on that previous infections, but also uh, vaccine. 
So there's a lot of speculation about what our BA2 surge will be like here in the United States. We've already started to see upticks in cases, but so many people are doing home testing. There's no way you can accurately know truly Mm -hmm. what's going on. And then secondarily, uh, we're also doing a lot of wastewater screening, uh, which actually is really effective of showing an increase in cases. And now that's starting to, to pick up. There's about 100 monitoring sites throughout the United States and large communities in particular. And they're seeing about a third of those go up. So what we don't know is what this means. Is this going to be a more significant uh, wave? My sense is probably not. I bet we'll have more cases. I'm sure we'll have a big increase in hospitalizations, but hopefully not as severe uh, and maybe not as severe in deaths. But, you know, we are still astronomical in hospitalizations and death. We still have about 800 people dying every day in the United States. We have about 25,000 people in the hospital. Uh, so those two are the biggest indicators I look at now. What about Canada? What are you seeing in the area of both deaths and hospitalizations? Do you have a sense of that? Going down. Everything is uh, down. Uh, the last number I heard, uh, there were four deaths uh, in uh, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And you know we were up to hundreds uh, a day. <clears throat> so that's really come down. Uh, mostly right across the board, give or take a couple of points, but we're at, for vaccines, we're at 85%. Mm-hmm. So, and wow. that's, from five, that's from five-year-olds up. Wow. Adults, but from five years up, everything is roughly 85% right across the board. So um, we're doing that's really impressive. well uh, with that. Uh, I think numbers are, uh, every province that I have looked at and have been able to find information now has, uh, all indicated down, down deaths, down hospitalizations, down <clears throat> cases, everything mm-hmm. is coming down. Um, hopefully it stays that way. Mm-hmm. One thing though, that is difficult is that some of the places, uh, well, actually I'll say that last cause we'll talk about it. All the restrictions around wearing masks and everything uh, have been lifted. I don't think there's uh, very many restrictions anywhere now. Mm-hmm. Um, even schools have said, uh, um, Kids, you know, can wear a mask uh, in class, but when they're outside or eating lunch, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, I went shopping, grocery shopping the other day. Uh, half the staff wasn't wearing masks, but interestingly enough, I would have sworn about three, three third, three quarters of the people, the customers, were still wearing masks, which was interesting. So all the numbers. I still wear out. a mask when I go to the store. Yeah, me too, actually. So a lot of people are still wearing masks. All the restrictions are lifted. All the numbers are coming down mm-hmm. and even trying to find, and this is the point I was going to make a, a minute ago, uh, even trying to find updated information now is getting trickier because some of the mm-hmm. websites that used to track all that information uh, are no longer updating. Yeah. So trying to get current information is now becoming a little bit difficult. You know, and that's, we're having the same problem. And I, I, I just, you know, I just wonder about us, you know, we go through two years of hell and, and we see with the, with the, the, da- you know, the off ramp may be in front of us and we're just like, woohoo, and we're done. And, and so it's a concern to me because we're having the same thing happen here in the U.S. where there is a lack of monitoring going on and there's a lack of reporting. And there are some states they're already shutting down their uh, COVID 
practices in their public health departments and they're shutting down their statistics. So then it's like, well, if something started to happen, would we even know? And the answer is no, we wouldn't. Yeah. So I'm, 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 I guess I'm, I'm glad to know it's not just us that are that crazy, that you guys are in that same boat. I'm, I am concerned about, we're stuck, our vaccine rate here in, in the United States is at 65%. It's been stuck at 65% for the last, gosh, two months. My town that I live in, our, our vaccine rate's 90%, so it's really high. And yet in this Bay Area, people still wear masks uh, when they're out in um, stores, uh, when there are any place where there's a lot of people, even if the sidewalks are crowded, you'll see a lot of people with masks on. Mm-hmm. It's just a different kind of culture. I just was at DRJ in Florida. Did I see any masks on anybody? Uh, no. <laughs> really? I, really? None. Zero. Zero, 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 zero. Uh, and then I saw, yeah, I was in Colorado doing a job a couple of weeks before that. And again, it was uh, no masks at all. So I think the nation is over COVID. And I think um, here in the United States, there's also been uh, an announcement that very likely fourth doses are going to be offered to those over 50, probably very soon within the next week, I would imagine. And that's because there is a fair amount of waning immunity in people that are older. I'm over 50, so I'm going to get be in line for my booster, although I'm kind of debating what the timing would be for that. But I've been chatting with infectious disease docs about that, but so that will be an issue. Are you, are you guys talking about fourth doses in Canada? It has come up, but there's been nothing that seems mm-hmm. to uh, um, be communicated uh, to anybody yet. Uh, and in all fairness, it's because numbers have all been going down. So there's not a lot of coverage of COVID as there once was. Right. Right. Well, I think the the thing I would like to leave our listeners to think about is that in the 1918 great pandemic of influenza, uh, there were actually four waves of that pandemic. And they pretty much followed the cycles of the typical flu season, if you will, except for the first one, which actually started in the in the late spring. Uh, But the rest of them actually followed the kind of winter um, schedule in 1920. All of the uh, restrictions across the country had been removed. There was very little tracking of anything anymore. And the most deadly wave of the 1918-1920 flu occurred in 1920. And they had exactly the same behavior that we are witnessing here. And that is the public was done. And so I, I thought that was really weird when I studied the pandemic, the 1918 flu at great length, but it's not. It's not. That's what happens. Who decides the pandemic is over is the public, even if the pandemic is still on. If they're done, mm. it's done. And I didn't understand that until I lived through it. And I'm seeing exactly the same thing happen today. Yeah. I, I think so. A lot of people after two years are saying, okay, what we're seeing now or hearing that it's a bad cold. Fine. I can live with a bad cold. Right. And that's it. You know, just, just let, me, let me walk to the store. Let me go into a store. Let me go to a right. restaurant. Let me travel. Right. You know? Right. And I think, I think that's for many people, it's simply a severe respiratory infection, but for a lot of other people, it's long COVID 
It's, um, and remember that it is an ACE2 receptor uh, virus, and that means it can attack your kidneys, your heart, your blood vessels, your brain. So yeah, I mean, it's a trade-off, but I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, that, that's the way I feel. I, I know I'm working with a couple of people right now that had bad colds. They tested positive for COVID, and that's exactly how they thought. It, it's a bad cold. I'm staying home. I know what I have to do after two years, you know, right. isolate at home. Um, nobody's no visitors, no nothing. Everything's ordered online. Fine. I can continue working. If I need to go lie down, I go lie down. Done. You know, and after a few days, hopefully a few days, they're back to normal and off they go. Doing yep. what they need to do. Brand new but world. In, in a way, it, it's kind of people have actually become educated. That's they true. Know, they know what to do, <clears throat> you know, um, but in another sense, it's I'm done, fed up with it. You know? Right. Right. Yes. I, I mean, uh, the good news is, is that they are educated and they know what to do. Hopefully they will do that. Mm-hmm. But the bad news is, is they are done. And so they're done, whether it's actually, whether it comes back with a severe surge or not. Yeah. And on that note, we've come to the end of another show. Regina, it's always great talking to you. Thank you, Thank Alex. Thank you so much. And it did feel like so long since the last time we touched. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, 31 days of a war will do that, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but always great to chat with you. I'm looking Thank forward you. to uh, our chat next week. Uh, sorry, next month. Not next week. Yikes. Next month. And yeah, we're going to add cyber exercises. As a, I think that'd be good. Topic. Let's do that. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. So thanks again. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.